0: Greetings and thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy day to check out CREDC's Grow Clark County podcast. I'm Marnie Farnes, Director of Relationships and Strategy. And for today's podcast, I'll be talking with two Clark County business representatives who will share their experience in the world of exporting Will Masia with Last US Bag and Elizabeth Dick of Tiger Stop. Um, before you jump into the unknown sea of international trade, I'm sure you have lots of questions. And so this is a great place to start. Clark County is such a supportive community, and I'm thrilled to share that several sponsors stepped up to support small businesses um, by way of this program. A big thank you to Firestone Pacific Foods, Perfect Company, and Tiger Stop. Their generous support and sponsorship uh, is a big part of why we can make this podcast available. Also another big supporter of business in Clark County is IQ Credit Union. Thank you for agreeing to be our presenting sponsor and thank you for your partnership. Um, And before we jump into today's episode, here's Julie Ahrens with IQ to share a few words, Julie. Hey, hey business owners, thank you so much for logging in and clicking
1: in today. We're super excited that you're joining us. My name is Julie Ahrens, also known as IQ Julie, and I'm blessed to work for IQ Credit Union, your local nonprofit, non-bank financial institution in town. We've been around since 1940 helping business owners business dreams come true. So whether you're a startup business and you have this dream and you're not ready to take it to the next step, or maybe you've done this for a really long time and you are ready to get out of business. So maybe you need help with succession planning or retirement planning. Whatever stage you're at in your business dream and in your business journey, IQ Credit Union is ready to help you. We've got a large team of business loan officers, business bankers, business account specialists, and we would love to partner with you. So thank you so much for joining us. We're super proud to sponsor the CREDC live podcast uh, series. Excited you joined us and IQ Credit Union is super excited to be part of this important series, helping business owners' dreams come true. So next time you need a business loan, business account, or some other business service, we hope you'll consider IQ Credit Union. You'll be glad you did. Enjoy.
0: Hi, Elizabeth and Will. Hello, hello. How are you, Marnie? Great. I am thrilled that you both agreed to join me. It's great. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for this opportunity. For sure. So as I told both of you, and I'll tell listeners, Grow Clark County podcasts are aimed at supporting small businesses and entrepreneurs. So the topic today on exporting will be a good one. And um, you both have different experiences and vantage points which will be definitely relevant to a variety of businesses and situations. So
2: Good.
0: yeah, I so I'm going to offer. Yeah. Yes. So um, let's just jump in and start with you, Elizabeth. Maybe you can share a little bit about yourself
2: and Tiger Stop. Absolutely. Thank you, Marty. Um, so my name is Elizabeth. I am the sales and marketing director at Tiger stop and Tiger stop is a manufacturer out of Vancouver Washington um, we essentially the easiest way to describe it is we uh, replace the need for a tape measure we make an automated tape measure um, and one of the areas that we address is manufacturing problems so we we like to consider ourselves the solution to problems with inefficiencies and waste and accuracy yields productivity, um, so that's really where we step in and we've been manufacturing since 1994 here in Vancouver, Washington, and we are also have a global presence. So we manufacture out of Vierden, Netherlands, and um, we sort of got started. Um, actually, my mother and father started the business um, 27, almost 28 years ago, sort of accidentally um, my father had a, a cabinetry shop, a kitchen cabinet shop, and he suffered a lot of issues with finding skilled labor, uh, mm-hmm. folks who could cut material, um, whether it be wood or vinyls, plastics, accurately and repeatably. Um, so he had a lot of waste, a lot of miscuts, a lot of rework, mm-hmm. um, created a lot of bottlenecks downstream. So he decided that he would invent the machine um to solve his own problems and my mother essentially said all right I support you but if this doesn't work you have to get a real job <laughs> and he went to his first trade show uh, mm-hmm. they both went um my mother actually sold the first 10 machines ah. and the rest is sort of history so then came the issue of creating and actually or uh, manufacturing and actually getting the machines to customers so yeah that's Tiger Stop in a nutshell
0: Love it, go Mary. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, oh, that's great. Um, and I can't wait to kind of jump more into how you got started over there in the Netherlands and elsewhere. So
2: that's Absolutely. coming up
0: soon. Yeah, good. Hey, Will, tell Hi. us about you and Last U.S. Bag.
3: Well, so Lasios bag was started in 2001, roughly, and uh, we are a cut and sew textile manufacturer in Vancouver, Washington. We operate out of 26,000 square feet here. Uh, we produce products everywhere from retail brands, you know, very well-known national, international brands. We produce their product, and then we also produce our own house brands. We have product market segmentation in quilting and sewing, in the outdoor industry. In the work at height and safety environments, construction, and industrial, and then we do a host of other OEM projects that we work on for other brands. That are, uh, you know, everything from a, a medical device carrying case to a knife sheath. So a wide variety of products that we produce. I am the, uh, I guess, managing partner of the company. I've um, pretty much share most of my time in the R&D design. I'm a designer by trade. And um, so I spend most of my time in product development and the sales and marketing of those products and channel integration for our products as they go to market.
0: Very good. So you both are creative people um, in the sense that you're both in marketing and so you've kind of got that business slash creative thing happening.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We like to consider ourselves a, a marketing company that just so happens to manufacture machinery. Yeah. Yeah. There you so
0: go.
2: Branding is everything. The tiger, fast and accurate every time. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Very good. So what I'm hoping that listeners will take away from this episode is that exporting can be a great way to take your business, a business, to its next level, but not always. And so sometimes it's best just to focus domestically. And so you both bring um, just great experiences with this topic to shed some light on, um, on both realities. And so Will, I wanna start with you and talk a little bit about Last US Bags exporting story. Sure. So can you tell us a little bit
3: about that? Yeah, it's sad. It's a really sad story. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it not it, in a good way, in a good way. So we had the idea, to, we work with a major uh, sewing machine manufacturer. That, there's really only three in the world. And we work with one of them who asked us to start to place our products in Canada. And so in in uh, you know, conjunction with some of their efforts, we did that And we had the idea that there may be an opportunity for us to sell our products in Canada in greater volume with the dealer network that that we knew existed there. So we went through a program with Impact Washington and Export Council, and we did some work on identifying how we were gonna do that. We put a plan together. Um, I think it uh, it was well enough thought out that we could justify the venture. And Mm -hmm. so we started by uh, positioning products in Canada with distribution partners and we placed a fair amount. And then from there, we did not realize the expectations that we had. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was one of those situations where we were holding on too long. You know, we we thought we had done enough research on the market and we hadn't. Mm -hmm. And we did not understand our consumer in Canada near as well as we thought we would. So being that, you know, basically Canada and the United States are so aligned in so many ways, not only, you know, geographically, but just in, mm-hmm. in general culture, there was a massive difference though in the behavior of the consumer in Canada. And we didn't expect it to be as dramatic as we thought it, is, it ended up being. So our sales were flat and mm-hmm. we ended up holding on to a lot of operational costs up there for far too long. It really started to affect our bottom line, and in addition to some unexpected things that occurred, like uh, having to having to actually open bank accounts in Canada, um, dealing with exchanges in Canada, dealing with VAT taxes, uh, inventory um, movement across the border became logistically more difficult over over time. Mm-hmm. Um, our partners were not consuming. And we ended up with lot loads and loads of product in Canada that were basically orphaned and, and unfortunately unsold. So that was um, it was my project, and I took it on. And I uh, realized quickly that it was it wasn't going to be the success we hoped it would be. And I did hold on to it a bit too long. Uh, so I you know I I learned a lot in the process. So it, it great opportunity to learn something.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that because that is, you know, obviously with everything in life, whether it be business or personal life, whatever. I mean, you know, you don't things come, things are risky, and so you don't know often until you get in and mm-hmm. and give it your best. So, um, you know, and like you said, it, it was an opportunity to learn, and we're going to talk more about in, in a little bit here about some of the lessons you learned and what other businesses can um, can maybe learn from you to um, hopefully save themselves from making some of those same mistakes.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I do have to say that I, um, we have had success exporting product into different countries. This was the first time that we tried to make a significant physical impact in a country where we were placing a large volume of goods in that country mm-hmm. to, to move. And it was a dramatically different um, effort than what we were used to. So um, in, th- in this particular case, it had a higher risk than, than we realized.
0: Sure. So, um, all right. So Elizabeth, um, your story is different. And so we want to hear
2: from you as well. Yeah. So um, I think everything for us really comes back towards our mission. Um, Tiger Stop on um, supplying equipment that helps um, lots of manufacturers um, in tons of industries, whether it's metalworking and woodworking, aerospace, automotive. Um, what we like to do though, is we want to empower those local manufacturers to be globally competitive. Um, we want to help manufacturers create communities that are sustainable around those um, organizations. So we kind of look at everything. Um, there's actually a really great economic indicator called the Manufacturing Multiplier index, which is for every job created in manufacturing, three to five additional jobs are created. Mm-hmm. So we are very pro helping other manufacturers um, do what they do better so they can be profitable so that they're creating local communities. And we wanna do that sort of on a global scale. Um, so what we set out initially, we wanted to make sure that the, the manufacturing organization that we set up abroad um, really kind of emulated that. We wanted to be able to export goods um, and then have local vendors and local suppliers and local labor um, help finish those goods to help manufacture those products into end products and then sell those into local markets. Um, So Europe for us was um, a really good opportunity. We'd gone to some international trade shows and we, we figured out, okay, this is a viable product in these industries. Um, We connected with uh, local partners who spoke the native language, which was key for us. Um, Mm -hmm. In the Netherlands, um, speaking Dutch is essential. Um, The Dutch are very, very educated people, too, and they're in close proximity to to France, Belgium, Germany, so um, having a partner who could speak all of those languages was very key for us as well. and it's sort of a calculated risk. Anytime you have a venture, you kind of think, okay, what are we willing to lose what we sink into this if we try it out?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it was it was well thought out in that sense. Um, and so I guess that was probably close to 20 years ago that we started manufacturing in the Netherlands um, and serving the local European markets. Um, so that is mm-hmm. sort of Everything kind of comes back to our mission statement of how we can sure. export, so, but do so sustainably.
0: What? So you started in the Netherlands, I'm, I'm gathering, and so- in Vancouver, Washington. Well, right. In Vancouver, yeah. But when you first started exporting, you started um, in Europe, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so we were exporting um, a product um, to a manufacturing facility there. And then mm-hmm. we were actually continuing the manufacturing process. Um, by, so then we have local vendors, um, who can supply products to finish those and local labor. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: and then yeah. we sell those products all throughout Europe.
0: And are you beyond Europe now?
2: We are. So we, um, and not in terms of manufacturing, but we have distribution partners, um, pretty much all over the globe. We have them in um, Africa and Australia, North Mm -hmm. America, South America, Canada, Mexico. So really having cultural sensitivity, I think, is is very important understanding how to communicate a message. We could have an advertisement out in the U.S. that if we sent in Europe or (laughs) it could offend the local population accidentally. We have some taglines that are um, yes. Funny to folks here, but maybe not so there. So it's just. Right. Understanding yeah. who you're talking to and your demographics, I think, is mm-hmm. important. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: I'm I've read that. And, you know, that's so curious uh, what did you have uh, a team working on this, or did you have somebody who just on your team that was just really good at
2: doing all this type of research what what were the early um I have to say it was really my my father so he okay. had been working in the industry in the woodworking industry he mm-hmm. made connections gotcha. uh, for decades um had attended all the international shows mm-hmm. well obviously now with COVID uh doing that but there's a lot a lot you can do online these days right um but yeah. I think, yeah, once we set up shop here in the U.S., we tried to just kind of figure out how we could um, find, I guess it's a culture carrier in in Europe. So Mm -hmm. keep the same culture of the company, but at the same time have the sensitivities to sort of the local markets. Yeah. Um, And then there's a whole host of advice in terms of just the logistics of setting up that I could go into or if we want to touch mm-hmm. touch on a little bit later. But
0: yeah, for sure. We will. What I
2: think is really cool, mm-hmm. Will and Marnie, is that um, we're both sort of small to medium sized businesses. And I think a lot of folks can think, wow, I'm I'm way too small to even start this adventure
1: mm-hmm. into
2: exporting. But um, I think it's $2.5 trillion of exports come out of SMEs, small to medium sized enterprises. So we are really kind of at the forefront here with, we're not talking about these big fortune 500 multinational companies. It's it's power in numbers. So I don't think people should preclude themselves from the conversation.
0: No, exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted to do this episode because, you know, if nothing else, it's worth considering. And like, Will, you made, your points are, um, are definitely, um, useful in the sense that um, doing research and doing your homework and not making some of the quote unquote same mistakes you made um, and definitely want to touch more on that but but if nothing else I think this is a great conversation and a great consideration for um, any business that is open to it so
2: absolutely yeah
0: yeah
3: go ahead Will well, it, you know it's interesting when we first started talking about making a big push into, into exports, it, we thought that actually the familiarity with Canada would be the wise choice because it'd be easy. And that was, was such, gonna ask you. yeah, yeah. That was such an underestimation of what the, what the effort would be. We actually have an easier time exporting to Europe than we do to Canada, believe it or not. And, and mostly that's because the market behavior of the consumer, Is more in line in Europe, in England, and and actually down in Australia as well Mm -hmm. for this particular product line that we were selling. But we just took for granted that the proximity and the you know kind of similar nature of of Canada, U.S. and the you know would 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 bridge any gap and it'd be an easy process. And it really did not turn out that way. Uh, To your to your point, having The proper research and administrative support to do it
1: Mm -hmm.
3: is really critical and we i failed on that to be honest i I just underestimated how much effort it was going to take and i ended Mm -hmm. up having to pull a lot of my staff in to work on this project once Mm -hmm. it was rolling and then i started to realize that okay this is bigger than i thought it was going to be as far as the effort is is and i don't know that we're really staffed right for this And Mm -hmm. I don't know that we're going to see the results that we're looking for. So we, we, you know, we promoted it for about nine months. And then Mm -hmm. after nine months, we knew that this was not going to go much longer. So we discontinued it after 13 months and um, decided that we would just go transactionally based instead of trying to do a program based export Mm -hmm. uh, uh, initiative.
2: Uh, Will, did you have a distribution partner, a dealer selling your product or were you
3: yeah, and it, sort of. And that, th- this was where the challenge actually came was that there was a competitive nature of the uh, company that we partnered with initially and the distribution channels in the country. And they were actually competing against each other. And so it was very territorial. And, mm-hmm. so, and you know, Canada's not a huge market. It's small. And that that that's another thing. Because Canada's small, we looked at it as, oh, this is low risk, right? We're not right. going to have to put too much in there. But it's still risk. You know, if, if it's 90% risky, it's still 90% risk. You know, so we, we looked at it as though uh, this should be somewhat innocuous and not too painful to, to transact. We didn't realize the complexities of the relationships between the distribution partners in Canada and how they were going to react to each mm-hmm. other. One having it, many of the dealers being, they're really split east and west
1: because mm-hmm.
3: uh, the center of the country sure. is, you know, fairly fairly less populated. So mm-hmm. um, there was definitely a territorial aspect to it. There was mm-hmm. a lot of protectionism. And, the, and then on top of that, a reserved consumer behavior that we didn't expect. So um, that distribution piece for us crippled us because it really isolated us to half of our market that we thought we were going after.
2: Okay. Okay, so setting up just proper maybe sales channels ahead of time, okay, we're gonna go through dealer here and direct here and sell e-commerce here.
3: Yeah, and the ch- the challenge was like e-commerce was anemic. Uh, it really did not prove to be what, what it is here in the US. We were doing about 10% of what we do in the US overall, which is not, you know, unrelative to the population size and, mm-hmm. and disparity there. Um, yeah. Where we saw challenges was the, the um, like I said, the consumer really drove it, right? But also the consumers were our distributors as well. And they were very slow to adopt. They were very cautious about how they were gonna take this product on. They were very worried about the nature of the relationship with other distributors. Uh, Like I said, it was territorial and protectionist, but in a very, very nice way to to put it, you use a Canadian term, right? Um, (laughs) They they were like oh no no if they're doing that then we shouldn't even touch this I'm like but they don't serve this this segment of the population they're like no that's okay we're not gonna do that <laughs> so yeah. it, it was it, it was unique I mean it was we were a, we're a unique brand in that market we're a unique sure. brand in the market segmentation in that particular uh, category and um, you know I think we uh, I th- I think my uh, My eyes were bigger than my appetite at that point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but lesson learned and now you're sharing with
3: others. So for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so let's say, well, so let's say a business decides, um, yeah, it's it's time to start thinking about this to perhaps get the ball rolling um, as far as export. Um, What are some tips or some insights on how a business might investigate target markets or do their homework, um, maybe researching potential competitors or um, different strategies. Elizabeth, do you want to start?
2: Sure. Um, Google, I think is a step one. <laughs> yes. Google, uh, you need to find out if, well, number one, if, is your product unique? Um, is it a, a service or a product that that industry or market would not have otherwise, if you weren't in the picture,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um, you're selling a commodity product or are you selling something that's a little bit more specialized? Um, so I guess for us, it's, it's sort of, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: we were able to kind of enter some of these markets because we were, we're offering a product, um, that is affordable to people and can, it's new to them. And it's sort of an ancillary tool that they can attach. Like if somebody already has a drill or a chop saw or an iron worker or, or a very basic tool to make something, they attach our product to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so for us, it's just a question of barrier to entry. So um, we were able to determine kind of fairly quickly, this is 20 or so years ago that this is sort of an innovative product that no one had ever seen we were at trade shows back then Mm -hmm. and the market feedback was oh my goodness wow where has it been I need one now (laughs) so um I think now it's a little bit trickier without having those kinds of international trade shows but you can still do a lot online yeah Um, I think social media is a huge huge untapped resource for Mm -hmm. folks in manufacturing I don't think the average manufacturer does a good job with their social media, but I think um, there's endless opportunity there. So, um, and then I think talking to local organizations, Columbia River Economic uh, Development Committee, for example, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. talking to government officials, um, the U.S. Department of Commerce, Mm -hmm. I think is a great, great resource. Um, So, yeah. I think I would would start there, doing homework.
3: Uh, Good thoughts. I I think you brought up a really good point, Elizabeth, is that how unique is your product, right? And, And that's one thing that I probably, we have a very unique design in our product, but the product itself can be replicated. And on top of that, we're importing the product and then sending it as an export, right? So there's an additional layer of, I guess, dilution in its integrity. And when I say that, I mean, we lose the opportunity to really control the narrative around it because we're not ultimately manufacturing that one product. Now, as a, as a, it's, a, it's a separate component of our business. It wasn't unique enough. The designs are fantastic and all of that, but they weren't unique enough for our competitor out of Asia to replicate exactly what we were doing and flood the market at very inexpensive numbers, yep. mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and
3: it that coupled with the fact that we really didn't do enough research into the market, it, or at least didn't have a, a be, the best understanding of the market, really limited our. It accelerated our failure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, do that research. I, I I think I said this to you, Marty, before you know we recorded this. It's. The research piece is so critical. It's like what Einstein said, right? He said, mm-hmm. you know, if I have a problem, I'm gonna spend 95% of the time identifying it and five percent coming up with a solution. And I think I was probably 50-50, right? Gotcha. I was looking for the solution the whole time. So shame on me. But it it um it really does pay to do your homework.
2: I, but I think that brings up another interesting point, which is um ip and how to protect yeah. your ip yeah. if you are abroad do you have yeah. a product that you can actually even protect or you is it
3: or the wherewithal something? to protect right
2: right or yeah. can you trade market or if you are going into certain mm-hmm. countries and, and markets that are known to quickly cheaply replicate something and mm-hmm. their perception from the buyer is that well these are the same product then is it even worth going into those markets um yeah. yeah I, mean, I just have a funny story. I was um, in one of those countries and I was speaking to an individual who was, who thought that she worked for Apple because it was such a good copy of the Apple store.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. that yeah.
2: She literally thought she was an employee for Apple, but it was a copy. So there are markets and countries where they can get away with that. And it's very difficult to control anything related to your product, how it's made, how it's sold. Mm -hmm. the narrative so yeah you have to just yeah matters. do your homework
0: that makes me think I think will you had mentioned at one point um when you and I were talking um prior to this
2: Mm -hmm.
0: that um you had mentioned about just um some of the corruption that's out there Mm -hmm. and yeah and so um I don't know if either of you have anything you want to share about how to kind of learn the tricks of the trade, so to speak, um, in regards to different cultures have different standards and different um, maybe um, ethical ideas.
3: So. You know, it's funny, the State Department publishes like a corruption index for every country. And I, I obviously don't know how accurate it is, but I can tell you that by looking at the numbers and the countries that we've, um, we've basically manufactured in or, or exported to, they're probably pretty close, right? And and we've had great successes in having local people assist us and get us through a lot of the, I guess, what you would consider low-level corruption issues that you're going to face, and you will face I, There's There's no doubt that in certain countries you're going to have taxes that you're not familiar with, that probably aren't real, that are gonna come across. Um, businesses are ju- just performed differently in different countries and it's culturally acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I think as, you know, in the US, we think we're squeaky clean and we do everything right. And, and you know, okay. and then we get to, you know, we get to a country and we're like, wow, this is so corrupt. And I'm like, you know, after a while you're like, nah, this is just the way business is done. Mm-hmm. And just to, you accept it and you move on, and, and um, you are going you are going to face it at some point. If it depends, you know, the farther the more countries you visit, the more opportunity for that.
0: So, is it how important it is, is it to learn the regulatory pieces um, in different markets or places that you might try to get into, and how do you go about doing that?
3: Yeah, that's it. it it's a Google? good question. Yeah, yeah, Google's a good one. You know, I, funny enough, I found that um, most of my competitors are very collaborative, right? And so when we talk, we're, we're friends. I know Many of my friends that are in the bag space or in the textile space are competitors. And we chat all the time and we share these stories and we share information about how we might get something done.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: we became much more collaborative. This might be different for you, Elizabeth, but in our industry, it we've suffered this attrition for so many years where there was hardly any of us left in early 2000. I mean, we were one of the last U.S. bank companies, and that's where the name came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really found that by reaching out and talking to some of our some of our competitors, they became allies and we're still really good friends. And we were able to help each other bridge gaps where we needed to, mm-hmm. and that, that's been really helpful. Um, the State Department has helped. The uh, US Commercial Services helps quite a bit. There's so many resources out there. It does take time and it does take a lot of research. And you have to yeah. spend a lot of time in the weeds on some of this to figure it out. You're still never gonna get it all. I mean, it, things are gonna
2: pop up all the time, but. Yeah. Things will pop up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, everywhere, all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a great resource, which is, I should get the name here. It's um, actually, there's a basic guide to exporting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's 240 something pages long. So it's really not the Spark noted version. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. but the U.S. Commercial Service has this PDF. Yeah. I it's think fantastic. I and it will—you will think of things that you would never have considered um, when you're when you're going through it, just to kind of check off. So,
0: okay, um,
3: that's like good. Whether
2: whether your product is even being banned for being sold in that country, that's yeah, something.
3: absolutely, if, absolutely. Or do you,
2: is there a U.S. trade agreement that you are not even aware of, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. an anti-dumping agreement, or is there some prohibition of your product being sold into that market? Um, yeah, it's, it's things that are that you want to consider
0: <laughs> for sure um, so there's lots of benefits obviously to um, jumping into the world of international trade there's also drawbacks perhaps both of you can share how uh, how your business has benefited but then maybe a few of the drawbacks we've heard some some of the drawbacks obviously from you will but Um, What have been the positives too?
3: You know, for me, it's really been a matter of refocusing. I think we, what we were doing was we were spreading out beyond our borders prematurely because we hadn't really captured the entire audience that we have in the United States alone. And what I refocused my efforts on was how do we get, how do we go deeper into the people that are in our tent already? Mm -hmm. and How do we support them better? And we've been a better company for that because we've been able to manage our clients and exceed their expectations. Versus, you know, really where we spread ourselves, we spread ourselves too thin at one point. And um, you you know, just that's been the biggest benefit. And I haven't need. We've still continued growth year over year without having to go outside of our four walls yet, which
0: is great. That's as good.
2: Mm -hmm. How about you, Elizabeth? Um, benefits for us of just a really, it goes back to the mission again, I'm sorry, we're gonna repeat it again, empowering local manufacturers to be globally competitive. So we really um, find a lot of satisfaction in helping create manufacturing communities across the globe that are very, very sustainable, mm-hmm. um, that can serve their own markets and it can help keep communities. I mean, if you look in Detroit, for example, when steel was taken out of Detroit and automotive industries, it decimates communities. Yeah. So being able to provide um, jobs and um, is, is very, very important to us. I mean, in addition to, obviously there's like the, the business side, which is everybody wants to have a paycheck, which is great. Um, the branding benefits of creating a global brand that's recognized, um, but it definitely has not been easy. It's called work for a reason. <laughs> and we've definitely made mistakes. I mean, there are a lot of lessons that we've learned about what to do, what not to do. Um, and I, I would just say step one, if you do decide to go down the venture is to get a really good freight forwarder.
3: Yeah. You need yeah, to have
2: a really, really good partner who can help organize all of your shipments and logistics and can help get the product to the final destination.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We've used DHL uh, main freight Omni logistics, uh, but you really need to have partners. This isn't something you can really do yourself without having some of that infrastructure set up. And you need a you you need a website that's global. Mm-hmm. We to, we've tried to get away with websites before that had um auto translation functions, and we were hoping that could work and the messaging is completely distorted and it's not getting to the audience correctly. And um, you really have to invest, I think, in a a multi-site that has actual native speakers creating content around Mm -hmm. your manufacturing or your company um, so that you can communicate your messaging. Um, Heat-treated pallets, that's something that you probably don't think about every day. Right. You're exporting, you need to have a huge stash of those. So the, the tell little us about things. That. Yeah, tell us about, tell us about those. You, you have to, you must have them when you're um, exporting goods internationally. You have to, have, everything has to be sanitized and treated and clean and clear from cooties so that when your product gets- <laughs> internationally, internationally, No cooties. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, certain things you just expect to be yeah. sort of problematic like uh-huh. uh, ocean shipments, there will be delays when that cargo gets on that ship it's gone and there will be delays we just saw this huge example in the suez canal of yeah. what uh-huh. can go wrong when you're putting <laughs> yeah. goods so yeah
3: mm-hmm. conversations around
2: air freight uh, ocean freight and then there's added expenditures right so it's a constant kind of juggle and you you also have to pay attention to what's going around um like the Right now, the global supply chain is sort of out of whack, yeah. like lumber prices, for example, are up like 230%. Uh-huh. So if you're producing a product or you're exporting a product that has any sort of lumber in it right now, you have really had to look at kind of global pricing structures and you know when to buy, when to sell. It's, it's interesting. So it's not yeah. easy, but it doesn't have to be so daunting
3: and there's a lot of good partners that can help you with it. You know, sometimes just picking the right distribution partner, they'll handle mm-hmm. the majority of this for you and that that can solve your problem. We have that in Germany and in the UK for us where we mm-hmm. really don't do much other than put product on a pallet and get it ready for shipment and a heat treated looks- pallet. A heat treated pallet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and and, um, you know, obviously understanding the labeling requirements of each country is important. Um, I mean, there's a lot of little nuances that you have to go through, but those distribution partners oftentimes will facilitate so much of that and they'll they'll handle so much of it for us because they want the opportunity to sell your product. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's just a great advantage to leverage.
0: That's a good thought. Shifting directions here. Um, One question I want to be sure I ask is, so like, if we, if my business um, starts the exporting thing happening and, um, you know, it's, it's to be expected, I think, for many businesses for it to be um, bumpy at first. And so, Will, you talked about the first nine months um, being flat. What can a business expect, and I know this is, it just depends, but when should a business um, kind of, not panic, but realize, how do they spot the difference between this is just uh, the beginnings of a new process, and this isn't working.
3: Well, I think you know ultimately what we didn't do well was set a defined budget for how you know both in time and in resources that we were going to potentially uh, put into this. And I think that's important because there should be a scope and there should be a range that you're comfortable with. And if you've exceeded that range, there has to be some hard decisions. But that should be established ahead of the venture and because we're, you know we're a small company right i mean i'm 25 employees, mm-hmm. so you know i i wear a lot of different hats i take the garbage out i make you know i flip burgers when it's you know sure. picnic day right yeah I, sometimes i take for granted the fact that I, you know i can get a little bit lackadaisical about how i go about things i'll say oh you know what you, you know what let's just stretch it out for a couple more weeks and see how it goes right, right. and that discipline i've learned over time you know and it's. I am much more rigid about defining what the scope of the project is and sticking mm-hmm. it. I think that's just good advice, although I'm probably not one to give great advice. I think that is good advice. You are. Yeah. You,
2: are advice. you are giving great
3: advice.
0: You are giving great advice, yeah, for sure.
3: I just don't listen to my own
0: <laughs> <laughs> problem. Yeah, well, you, you learn as you go, right, yeah. for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, have to, I have to kind of parrot everything that you said you sort of have to put the plan together ahead of time and um, invest in it what you're willing to lose. Yeah. yeah. So set that, Good define that start. budget and mm-hmm. it's sort of, sort of like any uh, engineering initiative, you always beta test. You're never even, anything you do, you're never gonna be fully live. Even if you're launching a website, you're going to launch the beta test, find all the bugs, yeah, fix the bugs, Release version two, so I don't think it should be
0: mm-hmm.
2: such a yeah. It's such an endeavor. You should dip dip your toe in. There you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so winding down here, curious, and you've shared so much information. So, uh, but I want to give an opportunity in closing for you to share any little bits of advice um, to others um that we haven't already shared
2: great question you, you yeah. know
3: find a great mentor that's do- had success like elizabeth you know find someone that that's had great success and 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 see if you can extract some of that knowledge ahead mm-hmm. of time because like I can, I can tell you if i had someone that would have guided me through that a little bit more we would have done things differently we may have had success but yeah. i i wouldn't say that it, but it, I, I really you know i used some basic counsel, leadership and things like that, that were effective, but it really didn't tell the whole story. You know, it didn't tell me exactly what I was going to experience. And so, you know, finding a good mentor in the process might help. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if, if anybody is interested in find connecting with a business that's um, a few steps ahead. If they reach out, if any of you reach out to me, then I'll be happy to try to connect you. And that's one of the things so that he does
2: do. So for sure. You got so well, <laughs> yeah. we really do. So yeah, it's, thank you. so important. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Elizabeth, did you have anything or it's okay if
2: you, if you don't, but I just, I just had something that popped out of my <laughs> head for a second. Okay. Um, I think it was just around just sort of continuous education. Um, people are buying very differently and it's constantly changing. There are constantly new ways to buy products. There mm-hmm. are new social media platforms being developed every five seconds. We just had to create a sure. TikTok account for the first time. I have oh no my gosh. idea who can use TikTok, yeah. but I think in order to reach the next generation of sure. Buyers, we're gonna we're gonna try it out. So it's sort of being hmm. flexible. Some tiger stop
0: platform. videos. Some tiger stop videos. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I am. I'm probably 20 years older than the average user on that platform. So they're so uh, entertaining, though, aren't they? They they really are. Actually, you can kind of go down some rabbit holes. There. Oh yeah,
1: but
2: I think I'm constantly sure. just yeah, constantly educating yourself and being aware of. Ch- changes in buyer patterns, I think. Well, that's great. Yeah.
3: Um, Sage advice.
2: Well, thank
0: you both for sharing your experiences. And all of your experiences uh, can be celebrated for sure, um, even if it sort of seems like maybe they can't or they shouldn't be. They should be. You fail know,
2: well and fail yes. often. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
0: you know what they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think this is true in business for sure. So absolutely. anyway, yeah. um, really appreciate hearing about your resiliency and, and the grit that you both have shown. And I'm so thrilled that both of your businesses are in Clark County. Thrilled.
2: And- We're thrilled to have you in such close proximity. So thank you. And thank you for this opportunity to to join your podcast. Absolutely, yes. this, absolutely.
0: Is, this is the exciting part of my job is connecting with great people like you and seeing your businesses, um, you know, through the mostly good times, but even the times of struggle, because that's just how the world works, right?
2: Mm-hmm. absolutely. So,
0: good, well, thank you both.
1: Thank
2: you. And can't thank wait you. to talk
0: to you again.
2: See you soon. Thank you, Marty.
0: Thank you, Will and Elizabeth for sharing your experiences. So listeners, as you can see, sometimes the world of exporting is messy and challenging. It can also be the very thing that takes your business from good to great. So no matter what, um, it doesn't hurt to consider the possibility. Thanks so much for joining in and we have more podcasts coming. One in July and another in September, all geared toward helping small businesses to succeed. The team at CREDC is dedicated to helping your business. If you have any questions following this podcast, be sure and reach out and we'll do our very best to help. Until next time, take care.